Chester Radio Hour. My name is Andreas Warner. I'm a record producer, songwriter, and owner of Crazy Chester Records. The theme song you just heard is performed by Wet Willie's Jimmy Hall and Funky Chester. The Crazy Chester Radio Hour is a weekly music talk podcast featuring an eclectic group of guests with musical hearts, minds, and souls. And many of the episodes will dive deep into the rich history of music Mecca Muscle Shows. We taped this episode in Los Angeles, and my guest today is Steven Kalinich. Stevie is an artist in the truest sense of the word. As a songwriter and poet, he's a master of the written word, but he's also a visual artist and has released a handful of albums as an artist in the world of music. He's been a frequent collaborator of the Beach Boys, as well as Dennis and Brian Wilson, who also produced Stevie's first album, a world of peace must come. Stevie will have a new album called Scrambled Eggs coming out through Plowboy Records on Record Store Day in the spring of 2018 that was produced by our mutual friend John Tiven. Please welcome to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour my good friend poet, songwriter, artist, Stevie Kalinich. Thank you so much for, for hosting me here at, at your house today. Uh, I've, I've been looking forward to talking to you because you are hands down one of the most creative and interesting people I know. And uh, you, just, you just showed me your incredible art. And maybe uh, we can start things off by going way back. You were born on the East Coast, what what brought you over here to California? Well, I was in my late teens, and I just wanted to see California. Uh, I loved it. I was a fan of some of the music out here, like P.F. Sloan, Eve of Destruction, 65, The Doors, um, Beach Boys, Beatles, Stones, uh, and I just wanted to come out and see what California was. Uh, about I heard all the beauty of, you know, I never saw orange groves, I never saw orange trees, and you know, it's not something you think of when you're in a cold in New York and you buy things in the market that they're actually trees that grow them. I mean, it may seem simple, but I just wanted to experience California. Yeah. Were you already into poetry by the time you moved out here? I started, well, I didn't know if I was really, I don't know if I ever was into poetry, what I was into was since eight years old, I was writing things about God and world peace. I wasn't much of a poet, but I remember when I was like seven or eight, I wrote this poem called, At Night I Saw the Stars Above, a Sign of Peace, of Hope and Love. The stars above 
the skies that ma- the stars that shine above my eyes that make me go know God's in the skies. Well, of course, as I've grown older, I I think that grace or God or is within us. But as a young person, I projected outside of myself, for that's where I needed to find my reality. So I would say I've never probably left that journey, but. The path was one toward world peace and toward beings getting along since I was very young. Now, I was a juvenile delinquent. I got in trouble, but I had both mixes. But I started out about peace, and I would express my ideas in these forms, chants and songs. But I was never really, I was trying to create world peace when I went to Brian Wilson. I wasn't trying to be a songwriter like a lot of these kids are, you know, learning every song and everything. I started out with the concept of ushering in peace, and later they said you're a poet, and but I never called myself a poet. Um, sometime I may say I'm a poet now, but I think it's really a title people give you to, just like songwriter. What we're born, are we really songwriters, or are, you know, I mean, it's it's to be debated. Like, or is this something we give ourselves and then coin it? It's not like you're born songwriter, you know, out of the womb and you're you're labeled it with, with a little sign above your head. Absolutely. and Does that make sense? Absolutely. And uh, we'll certainly get into your connection with, with the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson and all that in a minute, too. But uh, I guess even prior to meeting that group of people, you record an album called Leaves of Grass with a guy by the name of Mark Buckingham? No, uh, I did a song with Mark Buckingham, Leaves of Grass. And uh, he did the music, and I did the the poem. And that was before I signed with the Beach Boys. It didn't make it as a bonus cut on my album. But Mark Buckingham wrote that particular song. Um, and I based it on the idea of Walt Whitman, but it was that album was on the World of Peace, but that was an individual song. It was my first demo that got me my Beach Boy contract, and we paid $15 at Ascot Recording, and we got, like, not like a vinyl, but they called it acetate. You remember those? Absolutely. Yeah, so my first record was on an acetate, and I think we used it when we made the album that Brian did with me, uh, which was a little modified from my original concept, a little bit. And um, so that was the beginning of, and then I started shopping around, and that's how I got my Beach Boy contract. And that was, I think I was already early 20s by then. Yeah. Still young. And then, as you, you mentioned, in 68, Brian Wilson started producing an album on you. It yeah. didn't come out till 2008 on Light in the Attic Records. Yeah, and then it came out on vinyl in 2014 on record day and sold out by 11 in the morning all around the world. If, and they did a couple thousand, 20 or... 2,000 or 2,500 light in the attic, and it sold out the first day all around the world. I was excited, and also, I made a fair amount of money for one day in the thousands, you know, probably over $5,000 just from sales of that on vinyl. I was really excited that 50 years later that I could put out a vinyl. Of course, Brian was involved that it that would sell out in one day on record store day. It's pretty, I think that probably if you look at a lot of these acts, probably not many of them have sold Right, the new ones, 2,500 or 2,000. I don't think so. I'm, I'm grateful mm-hmm. for that. But whoever thought a spoken word record 
to generate that kind of interest. Matt know how to market it, Light in the Attic. They pulled it out of the closet, and, and the way he got it, Marilyn Wilson, Brian's first wife, married a guy from Canada, Daniel Rutherford, and Daniel, and they became friends with me. Well, Marilyn was friends with me. And Daniel, the guy from Light in the Attic, came to look for Honey's Records, which I love the Honey's, one of my favorite groups from the 60s. And I don't know why the Honey's maybe were wanting their own kind of deal different, but so Daniel um, told him about me and played him a few cuts, and the guy called me, and I ended up getting a deal. So Daniel's responsible, and then Billy Bentley that handled George Harrison and Lou Reed and Neil Young, the PR guy from Warner's, helped me with the con. He was almost like my manager. And Harvey Kubernick later helped me. Uh, and just there's some, uh, Jay Ward is the one that introduced me to the Beach Boy people through Jim Critchfield. Jay Ward created something in America you might have heard of in UK called Bullwinkle, the cartoon. Jay Ward's the creator. Jim Critchfield was his right-hand man. And they sent me to Brother Records, and that's how Brian and Dennis and everyone found out about me. Would you mind sharing a few memories of the actual session or the actual creation of that album? Yeah, you could ask me a specific question. I can tell you one thing. Brian took natural sounds like the dogs barking, brought them in the studio, the wind. He put me in a shower on one of the cuts, uh, Candy Face Lane, and I started coughing, and that part left was left out of the album. It sounded too psychedelic, but so there's a whole track which didn't make the grade for the final, but it's in the vaults of me coughing on Candy Face Lane below the gate is filled with, <laughs> you know, and then I, so Brian has a track like that, but we redid it. So, and he would use his dogs. He would take sounds. He'd have, he would put the phone next to the mic, and then he'd call me, from out in the studio where he was sitting at the desk to do the mixing and and the recording and I would speak from this phone and he and and he would record it from his voice and from my phone or he had me record in the other room and put the mic in the other room and he would create kind of things like that and then he'd say to the housekeeper and the other people come in and sing something he'd pull them out and on and Marilyn was having a birthday party that when we were doing that album. So all of her friends in that first record where it goes in the middle of it, it goes, Oh, don't remember me. I don't know if you remember that. As I remember you. Twas not so long ago you broke my heart into tears on my pillow. So they put that into the, my first magic hand session. So that's right in the record. And they're they're a little off key, but it's so beautiful. He left it. Sometimes he would leave it uh, imperfect to add the effect. And and then we did a sophisticated one with the Wrecking Crew called America, I Love You. Yeah, and I lo love that. That's a very cool arrangement, too, very involved. And what he did was he took the mono of my voice from Bellagio Road, where he lived in Bel Air, and put mic'd the cassette player with the mic and, and took my recording. That's how we got that quality and he did a track of crickets in the background from his Air house. At first we were gonna use Rhapsody in Blue, George Gershwin, but he decided, <coughs> and he let the wrecking crew, um, he told them what he wanted, Americana, and they kinda, so it's a co-creation of Brian and the wrecking crew, I would say, 
although it's Brian's orchestration, you know, stuff, but they actually did the improv part and, and helped put it together. Stella Costalucci, Tommy Morgan. Uh, you have to look. There's credits on the record, so I don't remember right m offhand all the players, but some wrecking crew. Yeah, and then after y you did that album, some, I guess, of the, of the, of y what you did in that album kind of overspilled and became a Beach Boys thing too, because the France album had two of your yeah, co-writes. Yeah, th and those were not on the uh, World of Peace album, but they, that was around that. I might have written the, some of the other stuff before, but th that was around 68 that I created those. And I just got the idea. So those first two songs, Be Still, I got the idea from the Bible, Be Still and Know That I Am God. And uh, I just came into Dennis writing, writing it with Dennis. Be still and know you are, you know, you know you are. And Little Bird, I was sitting at Dennis's piano on 14,400 Sunset. I saw a bird up in the tree, and then the whole song came to me like the bird was telling me the song. It was like, it was just a feeling of like a Zen moment. Little bird up in a tree looked down and sang a song to me of how it began. How it began, the trout in the shining brook gave a warm and loving look and told me not to worry about my life. And then it went into the song, and the bird, so I left it on Dennis's piano, had a few ideas that night he called me and had the melody he wanted me to change a few words and then a few i think a month or so or two later brian changed the bridge that part where's my pretty bird you know that part he must have flown away brian changed the notes and put in that melody he never admitted it then but now he does so even though he's not credited on the record i would say it's a brian dennis and stephen kalinish record uh, not just Brian and De uh, just not just Steve me and Steve Kalinish and Dennis. I mean, it was nice. That's the credit, but in the reality is, which Brian took no money or credit, is that it is Brian's creativity on the on the bridge. That's yeah. the truth of it. Believe me or not. And there's another song you wrote with Brian that I love that I guess didn't make it out at the time you wrote it. But more recently on the Made in California box set, and that's called uh, California Feeling. <coughs> Do you remember anything about that? I love that song. Well, what happened is I went to San Onofre on a surfing trip with my friend Brian Moss. I'd never been on a surfboard. I didn't know how to get the ankle strap. It was my first time surfing. I loved it. I didn't put about in the song about me falling and scratching my the guy's board and stuff because that wouldn't have made but I got this idea, and that's when I came up. Believe it or not, California Feeling is credited to the Beach Boys, but it's my concept, my idea, my title, and the words came first on all my Beach Boys songs except later, which we'll talk about, the McCartney and like that. So all my early Beach Boys songs, I wrote the words first and the titles. Uh, I didn't, except one that never came out, which we'll talk about later. Um, so that is, that was how it started on that California feeling, my first sur surf trip. And then my reflections. I was walking down the beach. It's all happened but with Brian Moss, not Brian Wilson. I brought it to Brian. He loved it. And then since I'd just come to California, never seen 
that's when I put that part in, which I love that part. One record doesn't have it in it, but in the new version it does have it. And that's, look at the orange groves and taste the grapefruit from a grapefruit tree. Feel the loveliness and beauty of that California feeling. So I went to Disney and uh, the guy that works with Imagineering that worked with Michael Eisner, and they're very close to doing a California feeling event a ride or something, and I had the rights for that part of it, or like getting percentage of the rights. I, I worked it out with Beach Boy Management, but it never did happen. But I had the idea of doing a sense around like they did with all things of America and uh, California, which I still could do if someone wants to do it. But, uh, And then I did a longer version of the poem, which I've never recorded yet, but maybe I will one day you know, California feeling, but as a longer version, like I did with Be Still, a longer version on the, on the World of Peace album, as you know. Yeah, one thing I love about the California feeling song is, in many ways, to me, kind of connects the early Beach Boys and the more involved Brian Wilson productions of the later years. And there's not that many songs in the Beach Boy catalog that do that. And that's it's one of his best this. melodies. I don't think it's been fully recognized yet. I, I agree with you. I mean, what a melody. What a melody. I was walking down the beach. I mean, how could, it, it's just the, the opening notes. It was such a beautiful day. The wind was blowing through my Air, sunlight, chase my cares away. I mean, don't you feel California? That's that's why when I can't really, and the original version was more like a gospel. Can't you feel that California feeling? Can't you feel it? I, I mean, you could do it like, like Joe Cocker or something. It had that urgency. California feeling. It's like white gospel. The gospel of California, I thought in my mind. The Beach Boys are preaching the gospel of California. I've never, I probably said it something like that in interviews, but that was my thing, was preach it, talk it, look at the orange groves, taste the grapefruit from a grapefruit tree, feel the loveliness and beauty of that California feeling. And driving down the coast and get that feeling that you can do anything in California, that you can create new ideas, that no matter you can come from all different countries, and still be part of the California feeling from Big Sur to San Diego to La Jolla to Los Angeles to Manhattan Beach to San Francisco. It's all California feeling, that sweeping, going west, the new adventure, create new possibilities. Don't let your past drag you down. Try to do something, dream. California feeling to me is a huge concept. I don't think... I've done a couple albums called California Feeling 1 and 2 with Miss Music Records. I give Carol credit for helping me promote that. That album I just gave you on CD, California Feeling 2, where I did the art. I think it's a huge concept that never, that the beat, that, that could be like a reuniting Beach Boy album. They should call it California Feeling and, and talk about it more. What do you think of that? Isn't that a great idea? I think it is, and I think it's I think everybody would love to see them do another album too, um, with all of them included. 
because that tour they did a few years ago was incredible. And if, for California Feeling, I, I'm going to mention it to Mike. If they could do that, Mike might want to put one of his own, like the Warmth of the Sun, but I think California Feeling would be better because they could bring Mike and Brian together again for that album. Yeah. And that would be wonderful. Absolutely. And maybe make Mike could recite part of the spoken word with me. So, I mean, you know, it, there's and have Brian play on the keyboard. It, it could be an amazing, huge concept. Yeah. A few minutes ago, you mentioned another unreleased song that you said, hey, we got to talk about that, too. Do you remember what you meant? Um... I don't remember him. Hopefully I will. Well, anyway, but also, and Dennis Wilson's solo album, Pacific Ocean Blue, I, I don't think he quite got its due when it came out, but it's it, become it didn't. this classic or this legendary piece of work. Uh, the thing is with Dennis, everybody's an expert. Everyone has books, and fine, and but some of them weren't born and give him credit for getting it known. But I was in the studio creating with Dennis. I was the first one to write with him. And creating with him where you do the words first. A lot of other people worked off tracks, but I always did the words first. And I think that that evoked some of the melodies into it. And Dennis, Pacific Ocean, Blue, Rainbows, when I wrote it, it wasn't for Pacific Ocean Blue. It became in the on the album, but when we wrote it, that's not what it was for. It was a song that emerged that got into that project. That's my view of it uh, from being there and being the only one there. And I was in Dennis's yard, same yard where I wrote the lyrics to Little Bird but at the piano, and I saw a peacock ran through the yard, and it was beautiful. And I just came up with rainbows shining on my shoulder. And then that whole thing, the earth opens up its arms to me. All that stuff came to me in a poetic flash. So all that inclusiveness of rainbows came like that, like a poem. Dennis had the melody within hours. We had a lot of melodies and songs like Mabel at the kitchen table never came out. But songs that later came out, which you know of, my, A Time to Live in Dreams is a beautiful song. But one of the best ones is that Made in California box set that never was released, My Love Lives On. That's just Dennis and me. You know, remember that one, My Love Lives On? That has got to be the one of the most beautiful love songs and committed. And Dennis's voice, uncracked, unbridled. I mean, so you've got Little Bird, you've got Be Still, you've got, this is just with Dennis, you've got Rainbows, Love Remember Me, which Greg was involved with as the song says, but I wasn't with him on whatever he contributed, so I don't know. But he has some credit on that. Also, which no one knows, Holy Man, which also Taylor Hawkins did and, and Brian May did a version. I've written with Brian May since, but I also did the original version, which there's not a recording of it, but I have several poems. And the original title that I gave with Dennis was Oh Holy Man. And I have the original lyrics, plus I wrote a couple of subsequent lyrics at that point. I have it handwritten from Dennis's piano, 
which which they can authenticate the signature, the original lyrics. Um, I can pull them up on the computer, but it was a little different. I like what they did, but I had another version, but it's totally wiped, and they changed it to Holy Man, and they gave other Greg and them credit, but and it it was it was not just the Maharishi; it was about a holy man in general. But and I, I like what they did, but that's not what Dennis and I did. So there's another story. I might like to record it as a poem and just give Dennis credit, and maybe get someone else to do do the music, maybe one of his sons, maybe Carl, and uh, see if we could do that. So uh, because that's a beautiful concept and a beautiful song that he did that I'm. I'm involved in the sense, not on the record that I got credit, but I actually did do a couple sets of words, which you, I think you will like. Um, so, holy man, and what? And then my love. All right, my love lives on is another one, and it just was such a special, creative time. Yeah, and then. About 25 years later, there was another Flinch, Brian Wilson collaboration. Can you tell us a little bit about that song? Paul McCartney and Absolutely. Brian Wilson. Well, I want to set it straight from what really happened. Brian and I started writing together. We created three or four songs. Uh, some, Two of them got recorded. Touch Me Angel, which is on the album called You Touched Me, Somehow somebody, I was Melinda, or somebody said, oh, we have another angel word in a song, and they didn't want it. I prefer the original version, Touch Me Angel. You remember that song on the album? No, I don't. I reach out across eternity. Da -da 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 -da. Oh, yeah. You touch That's me. That's the same album. Yeah, yeah. But the original title was, Touch Me Angel. I still like it. I don't know why. I'd like to re-record it with Touch Me Angel. I think I can now. I'd like to re-record it that way. And um, credits are the same, he and I, and just I'd like to re record a version like that. I think it'll pop out more. I love the way we did it. It's, it's, it's a t kickback. The thing is, people like to tie Brian to the darkness, like, you know, Midnight's Another Day and like that, which are good songs. But they like the sadness, a lot of the fans. But the, re the thing is that people don't realize... I'd like to bring Brian out of the sadness. A friend like you is cheerful. I did not write that for Paul McCartney. He did it, and I'm grateful that Brian dedicated to him, but I did not write that with him in mind. I wrote that. It could be God. It could be a friend. You have courage. You risk it all. You pick me up every time I fall. You inspire me every day of my life, a friend like you. A couple people wrote in that it's sappy and corny. Well, I totally disagree. If I was writing it to Brian or... McCartney's a kiss-ass thing, they might be right. But I wrote it to the universe, and I stand by it. And I like to see that cheerful, Brian. A couple of people said I should be killed for writing that lyric. I'm not kidding you, fans, uh, well, one or two. And it irritated me, and Brian said, you can't go by what other people think. But it's a cheerful song. The melody is bright. It is a part of Brian, that beautiful California part that sweet part, that kind part, it's not all sadness. It's good to have some sadness, but he has joy. His music is triumphant. People should know this side. The sadness is okay to keep in the music, but the triumphant Brian, the one who 
Ode to Joy. That's Brian's Ode to Joy to me. Beethoven. Bach. That's where I see Brian in those, in those kind of notes and feelings and symphonic. I think that's a good part of Brian, not just the sad songs. I like the sad songs too, but I, I think that's... And I used to read to Brian from the Bible, from different things to try and encourage him. Uh, we started another song, never, and he came up with that idea. The title was that called Grateful Are We. Never got released, and May came out with another melody. It was Grateful Are We for Little Children. My my words, but he came out with the the title with Steve Korthoff. Laughing and dancing in the sunshine. Grateful are we for every breath of air. Though we can't see you, we still know you're there. And that was a beautiful one. And uh, we had other things that never got released. So we had one called uh, something like Life is for the Living. And we had another one. Uh, I'm, uh, I'll find out and send you. That I touched me to be alive or something like that. Uh, and we had things that never came out. We started one about Dennis called, and this is not on any record, we had one called, um, it was like, Goodbye is the sweetest thing. Sometimes goodbye is the sweetest thing. I'll always relive your laughter. It echoes in my ears. Goodbyes. It was a, a goodbye to Dennis. It was a sad, but it was honest, and that never got recorded. And then Dennis, with some of my poems that got released by other people, even Brian started melodies on some of them, but never was able to finish them. So Dennis and I started something called Life Symphony, a series of symphonies on life. Never got music put to it. I, I someday might want to do it with his son again. So. You can ask me more questions, but that's something I haven't told many people before, but I'm getting older, might as well share those stories. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for doing that. And there's more Beach Boys connection, too, on the two albums you mentioned, the California feeling albums. You had Dave Marks on it, Al Jardine, and some of the Beach Boys. Oh, on my own albums? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had. Uh, and on Al Jardine's album called Postcard from California, I wrote, that's from part of the California Feeling poem, not the song. I think I had the same title. Alec Baldwin narrated it. Uh, and uh, Al Jardine sang a version of California Feeling. Also, The Honeys, which is on one of my records. The Honeys did a beautiful version. There's been a lot of versions. That's the trouble with me. If you knew, Brian did a version. P.F. Sloan did a beautiful version. Different melodies, which I'm going to drive the copyright people nuts. I don't realize, now I realize if I had done derivatives, it would have been easier. But I didn't do it intentionally. I just didn't know. I also think there should be a law that you can't sell your copyrights and things like that, that the publishers can only maybe financially own it but never allow you them to own what you created, even even if because you, you're acting against your own best interest. I think that there should be some law. I know people say it's a choice, but that you can't, because artists do things out of desperation. I think that legacy should be preserved, that they always 
there's some kind of statute that they don't lose the car. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It may not sound legally valid, but that's my view, to protect the songwriter. Get all the money, but keep your name. You did it. Why give someone else the credit? Something like that. Do you understand? I'm not yeah. talking financial. I'm just talking stay with that credit. That's what I think. Because people will forget. They'll think who published it. Yeah, connect the but creation with the creator. Yeah, connect the creation with the creator. Yeah. And you just met P.F. Sloan, who was a good friend of yours, and obviously another very, very talented songwriter. One of the best, one of the most underrated, one of the best songwriters, one of the sweetest people. I went to India with him and John Tivin. My my favorite song of his, I think, is Where Were You When, when I Needed That's You. That's a great song. Where Were You When I Needed You. The, bang the Bangles did a version of that. Yeah. I so think the... And I think Secret Agent was done by Devo, right? Yeah, Johnny Rivers did it too. Yeah, yeah. Johnny Rivers did uh, uh, Secret Blues Traveler did it for yeah, the second Ace yeah, of Yeah, Blues Traveler did a great job. There's all kinds of versions. P.F. Sloan, who else? Eve of Destruction, he was way ahead of his time, 19 years old. How about Let Me Be by the Turtles version? Let me be, let me be, that's all I ask of you, I am what I am. P.F. Sloan to me was as, just as influential as John Lennon as uh, the Stones, at, for me, as Dylan, P.F. Sloan spoke to the everyday man. And I think a song like Let Me Be, it's not just his clever ones that everyone has hits with. I'll, just like I think Brian Wilson, a genius song, is In My Room. Yeah. Not just Good Vibrations, but In My Room is such a beautiful, because that's what we did so many of our years in teens you must have done it even in Switzerland, uh, sitting in your room listening to music, sharing with your friends, going over Aftermath by the Stones, knowing every song, you know, over and over with the Beatles, you know, Sgt. Pepper. We were into just playing the album, and you must have done it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Imagine, even later we, we do it. Yeah, kind of go down your rabbit holes, you dig deeper and try yeah, to Yeah, yeah, in the rabbit more. holes. Absolutely, and uh, and then you think back to all those other groups like the Kinks, like that, that kind of spin off the Beatles. Eric Clapton later, but how about Eric Burden, House of Rising Sun, which yeah. was before, you know? I mean, that w that's a classic song. Yeah. So uh, we met through our mutual friend John Tiven. Yes. And I interviewed him for my podcast, and he's, you know, one of my best friends, and certainly one of the most gracious people who is the first person who ever opened his door to me in Nashville and said, hey, you want to write a song with me? And well, you wrote a song with, and you wrote a song with me, even remember? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was three of us did, yeah. did, and, but anyway, so, and y you kind of briefly mentioned that, but you kind of met John through P.F. Sloan. P.F. Sloan. That come about? That was beautiful. When P.F. did the Sailover album, which I think is one of his best albums, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, underrated. Another one, John produced a great album for me, and they wrote some good songs themselves. Sailover is a great rock and roll song to me. Um, I don't know why, it, whatever, but I met him. John, P.F. included, if you knew, he did a version of my book, which is if you knew, he, he did it. He told a joke to Newsweek. He said Stephen Kalinder sent me a 250 book, 250 page book, and I turned it into a song. But 
It wasn't, it's not 250, it's like maybe 40 pages, but it made a better story. But, but he said, I said, kid, it's your lucky day. And he, you know, how PF was. And then he took my other soul of a woman without, he hardly changed a word. He had the chords. He, ta he talked about it on, in my special, you'll see it. And uh, that was the beginning of that. And I met them through PF, but the contact of that was the same as for my record with that was through Daniel, because PF knew me years ago vaguely, but hardly remembered. Daniel, Marilyn's new husband from Canada, was friends with PF, and he's the one that put us together. Daniel Rutherford, a shout out to him. You got to send him this when you do the podcast. And Marilyn, sweethearts, and Wendy and Carney. I just have such lovely friends. I'm so excited. Yeah. And what role did India play in that whole whole scheme? In did what? In did what you sense? guys meet in India? Or did you just go to India on a trip we shortly went, after you met? We went together, not shortly after we met, a few years. W and Creed Bratton was going to go with us, the star from The Office. You met him, right? Yep. And, uh, but he didn't go. I don't know. He just got that show, The Office. It was the beginning of that, and that changed his life. Uh, the funny thing about Creed, I'm not saying anything bad. I like Creed a lot, but afterwards, when John, after PF passed, I talked to him. I said, I'd like to get there sometime. And he said, I'm too busy. I Mostly when I have time off, I go with my kids. So I said, at least he's honest with me. Some people will beat you around the bush, but how could you get mad at I mean, that's the honest thing. I'd rather have someone honest with you. So my connection with him was PF, and he was nice to me, but I never had much of a real friendship with him like I do with Tiffin, but I do like him. Yeah, and although I guess it took a few years for you guys to get a, a creative collaboration going, but... John and you wrote a catalog of songs that puts any other songwriter out John and I, you have to ask him, I think we've written over a thousand songs. We've placed over a hundred. Uh, it's just been a great collaboration. I, I'm not saying we hit it every time, but we, we have so much fun, as you know. And, you know, I'm always the one that says no. Even with you, he wanted me to do an album with you when I first met. I'm always honest, so you can ask me anything. And I, he was all in favor of it. I said, I don't know if I want to do it, you know, because I didn't know you. I'm just, wouldn't you rather have me be honest than sure. if you don't want to? Like Creed was with me, so I was, but then later as I got to know you and I, then you, and then the most recent thing, which I want to mention is when you saw one of my poems that I did at someone's service and you said, can I do it? And you sent me a melody and took the liberty of doing it. And I actually loved it, which doesn't always happen. I could have said, what is this guy doing? But it was really beautiful. And so I blessed to that those unexpected things happen. And then a week or two later, someone else did another poem. Isn't that, I never told you that. So. Yeah. But uh, out of, you know, those hundreds of songs that the two of you wrote, you actually, there's a few albums that came out of that. The first one was a du double album called uh, Shortcut to Infinity and yeah. Your Mama. Yeah. Thing which is pretty cool, I thought, because you kind of had a chance to almost be two different characters within the same. Well, one was an 18-year-old version of myself, Reverend Stevie Nobody. And what I wanted to do, but John said they can't do it, I wanted to keep us unknown, just as your mama, not know that it's me. But John said eventually the public, you know, so I, th I would have loved it. No, no one knew still. I think it would be much more interesting of a story. 
then then so the second album was us but also we did a couple songs with brian may I and mean, we had some great experiences as you know steve cropper did an instrumental of little bird keith reed from Procol Heron on the second album did a song with us and just it's been wonderful yeah that kind of and some of the songs like I you want what you want when you want to Andrew Oldham I think was is it Mo what's the album he writes for Mo Mo Mojo Mojo or what's the one he writes for where he put it in that he picked us of the week you want what you want like over the stones and over Dylan we were the number one pick of the things to listen to that was by Andrew Lou Goldham. That was uh, that's what once in a lifetime. I saved that out. It's got the tongue of a gorilla or something in yellow. And on it he gives the five choices and we were first. Yeah. What's the next one called Every Soul Got a Voice? Yeah, each soul has a voice or every soul has a I can look it up, but yeah, I, I should know. Each soul has a voice or every yeah, that's what it is, or each every yeah. soul has a voice. And then you did a Although it's not been out, but you did a whole album with, with soul singer Alice Hooks, too. Yes. Uh, we did one that c did come out, though. Yeah, that's true. Needles in a Haystack. Yeah. We got a lot of good press and got a lot of airplay. And uh, and then we did another one that's not out yet that I have with him. And also, we've done a new album that's not released yet called Scrambled Eggs. There yeah. is a, There is a duet with Frank Black on it, but I don't know if I'm supposed to say that now, but there is. Well, I guess now the word is out. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you guys have a release that date for that yet? A what? Do you know when it's going to come out? You have to ask John Tiven on that. I don't know. I'm praying 2018, but I don't know. You clear it with him. It must be soon because we're working on the artwork now. So. <laughs> well, I hope so. I don't want to say much more, but you can say whatever you want. All right. Sounds good to me, and I'll ask John here, too. Um but kind of just to close the circle and something that I knew you've been doing for a while, which was painting, but I had no idea how extensive your collection of, of, of work already is. Can you tell me a little bit how you got into painting and maybe also how it connects to, to your art of writing? Yes, I can. I was doing a couple big, like I did that in UK with someone. And then I would go to Ventura and paint this famous painter, John Robertson, who became my mentor. I would paint, collaborate with him. I'd write words over images and do little paintings. And he saw my drawings. We were having lunch or dinner in a cafe in Oxnard, I think. No, Ventura, in Ventura. And um, he said, you're a good drawer. You should try drawing. And I never did it. I'd done one or two drawings. Honest. I'd done scribbles. I started doing it. Before you know it, I'm filling up notebooks. I'm doing it every day. And now three years later, I've done album covers. I've done thousands of paintings. I paint on boxes. I paint on garbage. I paint on cardboard. I paint on napkins, things that are perishable. And I tell people ahead. I just paint on anything. Sometimes I paint on both sides or all sides of it. I just, art has saved my life in this, the visual art, because it's opened up my lyrical approach because I think it makes me more careful and selective with words. And I realize everything in our lives is a potential song. But through the paintings and the colors and the emotions, 
You and I talk, we argue, I, you don't hear from me for months. You're wondering, what did I do to irritate Stephen? Stephen's thinking you're mad at him, so he doesn't call you because he has a defense mechanism. There's a song. Why can't we talk it over? What's the block, you know? I mean, every experience you have, and it's the same with art, the emotional content, What, not how beautiful it is for me, but what does it make you feel? Does it touch you emotionally? Do the colors, does something about those paintings, like the little shepherd or the face, does something speak that's looking right at you? This guy, are what are they, what's their message? Are they calling out, help me, we all need help, the world is dying, we need more help for more people, we need to embrace all beings? What are these paintings saying? To me, it's my soul crying out to make sense out of this existence to create sanity in the world. So that's the same with my music. I do do crazy stuff, fun stuff. But overall, my message is one of bringing everyone together, I think, and still not losing your individuality. Well, I think that's a great way to, to close this. And thank you so much for spending this hour with me and sharing all these great stories. And uh, thank you for being my friend. Well, God bless you. I'm grateful to have a friend like you. This was the seventh episode of the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. See you next week.